Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insight that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find information about the Creative Writers Tool Belt Handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writers Tool Belt and that it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 111 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt. This episode is an interview with the effervescent Jenny Nash. By her own definition, Jenny has spent 30 years in the world of books as a writer and editor, and more recently as a writing coach. She has helped her clients to land deals with top agents and the big international publishers. And in this episode, we learn about the difference between wishing you had written a book and actually writing one the three pillars of effective book coaching and working out what the story is really all about. It's not just about having a good idea, it's about writing the book. Now, before we get to that conversation, a few bits of my own news. The book that accompanies this podcast, The Creative Writer's Toolbelt Handbook, continues to sell well. And I'm very grateful to those of you that have purchased a copy. I've been using Amazon Marketing Services to promote the book with some interesting and successful results. So if any of you have been using or are thinking of using Amazon Marketing Services and you want to get a little bit of insight on what I've learned about using that marketing channel, then just drop me a line. It's Andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com and I'll let you have some information about how I've got on with it. Now you can find the book in paperback and Kindle version and if you've purchased it already I really hope it's proving to be of value to you and I would be immensely grateful if you could leave a review for it on Amazon. That would be really helpful for me, thank you. In other news, I'm excited to announce that I'm going to be speaking at the next Equip to Write conference, which is for aspiring and established novelists and will be held on the Saturday, the 28th of July, 2018 from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. in Dundee. And I will again be joined by my partner at Equip to Write, the novelist, broadcaster and speaker, Wendy H. Jones. And together we'll be giving you the tools that you need to really get to work on your novel. We will be digging into the detail of story structure, showing you how to write that killer first line, exploring the light and dark side of writing and showing you how to energise your work with some practical tips that you'll be able to apply straight away. Now, the cost for that day, including lunch and refreshments, is just £40 but you guys can get a sizable 25% discount on that price by just adding the voucher code E2WNI when you book. That's letter E, number two, and then the letters WNI, bringing the cost for the whole day down to just £30. So if you're interested in going, you can drop me a line. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com and I can send you the details or just go to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com and follow the link from there. So back to my guest for this episode, and it's the writing coach, Jenny Nash. This conversation was such a blast. I got lots of encouragement out of it and lots of insight. I hope you enjoy it. Here it is. Okay, so Jenny, welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'd like to start with a question that I ask all my guests. So if you think back to your childhood and think back to your personal history what were the formative influences on you as you were growing up it's such a it's such a great question because there's no writer who who wasn't a a reader in some way uh, shape or form for me the the earliest memory I have of being engaged with writing and the writing process was very very young Mm. because my father was a professor 
of American history and environmental studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And he worked in a study at the far end. We had we had a ranch house, a California ranch house, and he worked at the study in the far end of the house. And he had what I now know is a very famous typewriter. It was a Olivetti, an Italian typewriter with uh, <laughs> green keys, these wow. green keys and it was electric but it had this just amazing sound and it drew me to that place the sound of that typewriter you know him pounding Mm. away at it I wasn't allowed into his study when he was working but I would sit outside in the hallway and listen to the typewriter I loved it and I loved what he was doing even though I didn't know what it was I I loved that he was in that room and in his own head, in his own yeah. space, in the quiet, you know, that the keys represented sort of the sound of, of someone thinking. And, and I was just really drawn to that. And as I got older and came to know what he was doing, that, that from that space of quiet and solitude, he was making something that was going to go out and impact other people. I just wanted that. So the, my, my journey through my whole career as a writer and a book coach and all the things that I've been has been sort of about how to know what to say, if, if that's what you're going to do, if that's what you're <laughs> going to be, you know, if that's the intention, yeah, yeah. how do you know what the story is? Or how do you know how to put yourself in that? And so one of the early literary influences on me from a reading point of view was this magnificent memoir by Edward Abbey called Desert Solitaire. And Desert Solitaire is a book, a memoir about Edward Abbey's, I think the subtitle is A Season in the Wilderness. Mm -hmm. And he was a park ranger out in Arches National Monument, which is the just desolate red rock, one of those parks out in the American West. And, mm. and he wrote about that. And I'm sure that I pulled Desert Solitaire off the shelf in my dad's study. Why else would I have had it? You know, quite <laughs> young. I mean, by quite young, I mean, I was probably in high school. But that book had such an impact on me because, mm. first of all, it is Edward Abbey had such a unique and powerful voice. It was I could just feel he was reaching out of the pages and, and mm. touching touching you could just feel it and I'd never read anything like that it was so he's very passionate it was very radical I just loved the sound of that voice and then the other thing that hit me with that book was I finally understood my dad and and my dad is this sort of sort of more in love with the wilderness than with anything else but that book it was like oh I get it I get who this guy is who's my father and I get that book just opened up a whole universe of understanding to me. And it was the first time I understood the impact to a reader of that, that creation of, of a, a work, uh, a book like work. So I always go back to that book as, mm. as a really strong moment in my reading life. That's, that's interesting. I, I want to come back to another question actually in a moment connected to that. But I just wanted to ask you about your poetry as well, because you, you tell us on your, your website that in fourth grade, you wrote some poetry and it was really important to you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? that oh my experience? gosh, when you, when you said that, I was like, oh no. <laughs> Oh, like he has the wrong person. I don't write poetry. Like, well, what you are you did once. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a great story. 
story. And I did, in fact, write a lot of poetry in fourth grade. And this goes along with this call that I had to be a writer. Mm. So in fourth grade, my class was going to make a book of poetry. And we were going to make it with cardboard covers that had crinkly tissue paper ironed onto them. They were mm. blue. This, I mean, this was this <laughs> art project. We are going to make this these books with this cover and you could submit poetry. It was, it was going to be a collection of fourth grade poetry and anyone who wanted to submit could be in the book that we were making. And because of my experience of listening to my dad and his study, I was like, Oh, this is my moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be a writer too. And, and so I wrote, endless numbers of poems, terrible, terrible poems, and no doubt. And they half the book was mine, because nobody else felt this call to do it. I think <laughs> maybe you had to do one. I can't remember what yeah, the rules were, but yeah. you could do more. And I was like, oh, and I, I mean, really half of the book of, in this class was like the Jenny Nash fourth grade show. <laughs> the pages of the book were run off on a mimeograph machine, which was this purple ink, if anybody is old enough uh, to remember that purple yeah i can just to this day remember seeing my name in my byline in purple ink and yeah. just thinking yeah How yeah cool this yeah. is yeah, this is it so <laughs> i have always been in love with the idea of being a writer and the trappings of being a writer and <laughs> You know, those things, people, when you think about being a writer, people always think about that, like holding the book in your hands and having your byline and giving a reading to people and all those things that I've always been attracted to mm. those parts okay. of, of writing. <laughs> so. um, just, f just for the benefit of um, people who are not in the US who are listening to this, can you tell us how old you were when you were in fourth grade? What does, what does, how old are fourth grade kids? I think okay. 10, cool. 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. Now, obviously, from there, you went on to college and, and then you, you started a career in, in publishing and magazines. And, and I wanted to know if you could just tell us a little bit about that period of time in your life. So when you were when you went through college and got your first jobs and, and the kind of things that you were doing and learning during that time. Oh, wow. Yes, I can. I was writing all through college. I, mm. I in fact, a column at my college alumni magazine. Yeah a student column, you know, life of a student kind of thing. Mm. And, and I also wrote as a senior uh, thesis, which is a, a long work, uh, sort of a capstone project. Mm. And, and it was creative nonfiction. And I had the thought that I should go to graduate school, because that's what I thought people who loved writing and books do. Sure. And, and to go on beyond uh, college to graduate school and get a PhD, I supposed in English literature. And I, I guess I thought teach or, or something. Yeah. My father was a teacher. So that seemed like a, a logical path. Mm. And I went to my advisor, my professor advisor to ask for recommendations to graduate school. And he said, no. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Just not a thing that you expect um, of a teacher who clearly liked me. We had a rapport yeah, and the whole thing yeah. he said no. And he said, that's not what you should do. That's not for you. You should go try to be a writer. You have the heart of a writer. And, and now is the time when you're young, you should go try to do this. 
And oh, interesting. Okay. What, you know, what an incredible invitation, really. And there were a number of signs from other people as well that 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 was a thing I should do. But I I chickened out. I I sort of did it, but I sort of did it halfway. So okay. by that I mean I I went to New York. I moved to New York. That's where all writing happens in in the United States, and yep. where all publishing is, and where all the things are. And I got a job at uh, Random House, which is, of course, one of the big five publishers. And I got a job as an editorial assistant to two editors. One was a fiction editor, one was a nonfiction editor. And that was what I did. And I loved it. And I learned so much about publishing and the publishing process. And I processed all of those manuscripts that come in, Used to, the word used to be over the transom. Um, <laughs> and they, you know, it was just incredible training and an amazing opportunity, all good things. But mm. it was about as far from writing as you could possibly get. Oh, wow. I, I call it writing adjacent. I was writing adjacent. And yeah. I began to feel that I was cheating myself. And I still was chicken. I got a job at a, a magazine, a really beautiful, glossy city magazine that was had a lot of money and was publishing a lot of wonderful writers mm. and doing all kinds of really exciting, innovative work as, as a magazine. And, and I got a job as a next level up editor there. So like an assistant editor there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was the same thing. I, I learned how to write on deadline, how to trim work down to fit a certain word count, how yeah. to work with the artists laying out the magazine. How do you see a story? How do you craft a story? So many amazing skills, but I wasn't writing. And we had opportunities to do things like write captions for photos mm. or you know, mm. write the things that what they call the front of the book, the hundred word pieces at the front of the book. Yeah. You know, and I was doing that, but I just was scared. I was scared to, to do that thing. And what I spoke about before, the trappings of being a writer are so attractive to so many people. Mm. And mm. some people, what I think they really want is to have written. They want to have yeah. written. They don't want to do the work. And the work is hard and it's long and it's risky. And I <laughs> I shied away from it for a, a chunk of time. And I got very, very, very lucky in that I ended up writing an essay for that magazine that won the interest of one of our writers, literary agents, and they offered to represent me if I were to turn that essay into a book. And they signed me and I sold the book when I was 25 years old. So I, That's I a had, good story. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very, you know, there's so much about publishing that involves luck and timing. Mm -hmm. And that was a story that was just lucky and, yes. and yeah. good timing. I, I don't pretend that I did anything special to, to earn that. It, it just happened. And then I was yanked into that thing that I had been shying away from. And um, I had the opportunity from there to, to write seven books and in different genres. Mm, and yeah. that how I launched the writing part of my career. Okay. Uh, now, there are a couple of questions I want to ask you, which just pick up on all of the things that you've said so far. The first is, when you were talking about when you were working on that magazine, you said you didn't get a chance to write a story, or you worked out what, I think you said, what you worked out what makes a story. So I wondered <laughs> if you could tell us what makes a story. 
Oh my gosh. So, I mean, no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many things, but here's what I learned at, at a magazine. Yeah. Um, it was a monthly magazine. So right. that meant every single month we had to fill the pages of that magazine. And anybody who works at a publication or now at a, a website that's churning out content understands this, this uh, imperative. And yes. it, Yes. It happens so fast and it comes, that next deadline comes up so fast and you have to be always thinking ahead. Magazines generally work six to nine months out. So if you're looking at a Christmas story, you're looking at that, I don't know what's nine months before. <laughs> like March, April or something. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so that process of, first of all, looking ahead and and yeah. so just think about all the things that are involved in just the piece I just said. If you're thinking in March about about December, you're you're trying to think about what is the viewership going to want at that time? What does the audience need at that time? Mm-hmm. What are they looking for? So a story involves in many ways knowing who your audience is, knowing what their what their needs are, knowing what their knowing who they are and what sort of story you're going to give to them. And, and in our case, we were a, a slick uh, city magazine, as I said. So we mm. had pieces on food and art and theater and fashion and yeah. all the things that were happening. But guess what? So do five million other magazines, <laughs> right? And so I would learn these things. Like I would come up, we had to constantly be coming up with story ideas. And I would come up with an idea that I thought was just great and, you know, where do those those ideas come from? Part of what makes a good story is is recognizing the story. You know, it, that's the whole thing is having the antenna for what's a good story mm. and for recognizing out in the world. And and we have to do this as writers as well because so many ideas hit us all the time. Mm. But it's, what's the one that's going to stick? What's the one that I can bring to life? What's the one that's going to work? And that sort of thought process is what you had to go mm. through. You know, we come up with all these ideas and we pitch them at these pitch meetings and the, the higher up editors would, would say to me things like, well, no, we would never do that. That's what Glamour Magazine would do. Or that's what GQ would do. And I would think, well, well, what do you mean? It, you know, how is what we do any different from what they do? It's a good story anyway. But what they were teaching me was that discernment. Let's just pick a topic. Well, you and I are talking before the the marriage of uh, Prince Harry, right? So yeah. that's, that's coming up in the universe when we are talking right now. Yeah. No doubt, many publications will be writing about this event, oh, right? There'll be millions of words about this, won't they? <laughs> no, but but so what's interesting is is when you're on that staff of that publication, you have to think, well, what are our values around this? What is our right. mission? What is our perspective? What is our take? How do we look at this event in a way that our readers are going to resonate with? Mm. Because yes, every single other publication on the planet is going to be writing about it. So that understanding of who are we? What are we doing here? What are we doing that's different from what the rest of them are doing? What What is our way? What is our belief? That sort of discernment and that process and the, the editor's higher ups forcing me to think about that Mm. is was incredible training because it's easy to dismiss that and say oh well 
you know, story about Prince Harry's wedding is a story about Prince Harry. Like, who cares? But the readers are drawn to different mm. ways of telling a story. And, and a writer has to know where they stand and what they're about and what they believe and what their point of view is and what their perspective is. And a lot of writers that I see in my work as a book coach make the grave mistake of of just saying, well, I'm just going to write about Prince Harry's wedding because it's cool and not <laughs> doing the work to think, okay, but what do I have to say about that? What do I have to say that's different? What, why, why me? Why is anyone going to care about me? And so back at the, the magazine, I was being trained in that day after day after day after day. And then being able to see, you know, okay, there's a cool idea. So, and then there's a cool idea that fits your audience. And then the trick is, what is the story? What is the way of seeing that story or crafting it you know, stories have shape, they have weight, they have patterns, they, they, mm. they are, they're a thing, they're not ephemeral. And they have qualities that you can actually analyze and, and break down. And it becomes second nature, when you start having to do that all the time, it's like, oh, that's a story. Oh, that is a story, you know, or I see that story. And a lot of the work I do now, believe it or not, is, is precisely that. When a writer comes to me and they're muddled or they're confused about their book or they're stuck or they're getting rejected or mm. they can't get it off the ground or they've been working on it for 10 years or whatever their issue is, my job is to to see their story in the building blocks, the jumble of building blocks that they're presenting me. What's the story here? And and to reflect back to them what I see. And most of the time, it's very obvious what it is. And they've just missed it for all the noise around it. Mm. You know, mm. there, but they are just not seeing it. So this idea of seeing the story and recognizing the story I, I was very lucky to be trained in that way at that, that magazine, and I am mm. forever grateful for that education. So here with the story, you know, I just picked out of the ether as an as a example. Mm. You know, if you were a novelist, you might look at that. So the fashion person's looking at the dress. The person interested in diversity issues is, is looking at perhaps race. All these things, and you would think, wow, there's a story. Yeah, yeah. And what does that, and, and even further, to, so discerning that story even further, what if you were equally obsessed with the wedding itself, the wedding day itself? I could imagine that you could write a novel that unfolded, yep. you know, as, as I said before, there's structure, there's there's timeline that unfolded 24 hours over the course of the wedding and, and how that story of that person coming to this time in their life and, and place unfolds over those 24 hours or however you decided to to make that story but mm. there's a story there and you can take anything and how you approach it and how you frame it and how you structure it is is everything it seems to me that there are many approaches to it but they have to be intriguing or they have to be authentic they have to reflect something which is real and which people are going to sit up and take notice of. Well, I, yeah, and I would also add to that. So we were talking before about the perspective of a publication, the perspective of a magazine, yes. how yes. they come at something. But an individual writer who is coming at story, you, you need to know what your own passion for the project is. And, yes, yes. And where the intersection is between 
the external idea. So in this case, you know, Kateri's wedding, that's the external idea. And then there's the structure and that's going to be what the genre conventions are, or maybe you're playing with genre conventions or maybe you're breaking genre conventions, but, but what the structure is and where all these things cross with your own passion and beliefs, because you're going to be living with this project a long time. Yeah. (laughs) And you, you mentioned the word authentic. If you're not bringing an authentic passion and and joy and deep belief to that project, I can promise you that you're never going to finish it and you're going to lose motivation and doubt is going to creep in and crush you. You have to know why you care about that story. And I think this is one of the single most critical things a writer needs to bring to the project is why? Why do you care about this? You know, why does this matter to you? And I mean that in a very personal way. Mm. So the thing that I just threw out there with with Prince Prince Harry and the wedding and like I could get excited about that. I think that's really cool. I find it fascinating. But if if you were to say to me, hey, hey, Jenny, do you want to write? Do you want to spend three years writing that story? And if I said yes, which I wouldn't, I'll get to that in a minute. But if I said yes. (laughs) I would want you to say why, and I would need to answer the why, because like I said, if you don't have that, it's not going to work. And the reason I would not say yes, the reason is that although I find it fascinating and interesting, and I could see that it would be a great story and all of those things, it doesn't have any personal resonance to me. Yeah. It doesn't tap into something I really care about. It doesn't resonate with with who I am in my own life or things I've struggled with. Now, you've you've referred there quite a bit to thinking about a personal passion, a personal interest and struggles and, and that kind of thing. And I know that you've written a book called The Writer's Guide to Agony and Defeat, uh, which is a pretty astonishing t- title. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about why you gave the book that title and what the book is saying to writers? <laughs> Yeah, so I gave the book that title. First of all, I think it might be a terrible title. (laughs) (laughs) I might need to change that title because it does horrify people. But I it came to me because back when I was a child, when the Olympics would come on every it used to be every four years, they had this ad that it was NBC, I think, and it was it was this voiceover saying, you know, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Yeah. And and there would be this image video of a skier with this spectacular crash into a house or a cabin of some kind <laughs> and, and like windmilling over skis flying everywhere and, and crashing into this thing. I mean I could laugh, but it was it was terrible. Yeah. And but it was their little catch catchphrase for what the Olympics was. You know, that idea that a skier often is going to have spectacular falls if they're going to, to be any good. And, and so for me, the idea that every writer has spectacular failures and rejections and setbacks, I think the people who succeed are the ones who can move on from them, who can get up and, and shake themselves off mm-hmm. and go back to their why, their deep level why, mm-hmm. and move on. And what I wanted to do in that book was outline what I saw from my career helping other writers as a book coach. What I saw is the main moments of despair and, and agony. And there are a lot of them. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, throughout the writing process, you know, starting 
just starting with having an idea, having it hit you, you know, in a moment. I actually got a um, text this morning from a writer who was in the middle of writing a book. And she said, oh, my gosh, I had the best idea for my next book. And and <laughs> she outlined this thing in her text. I mean, and it was just that thrill, right? That mm. moment of like, mm. ah, and it just hit her, this idea for a mm. book. And like, that's the best moment ever. And, you know, it's just, we love that. And and it happened to her and she saw the story. That's what, that's the thing. She saw the mm. story. Well, the moment of agony is how do you actually give yourself permission to do something with that? And moving on from, from the thrill of that moment, really to the agony of like, what am I actually going to do now? How am I going to actually bring this to yeah. life? It's, yeah. it's a, a line a lot of people never cross. And all they do is have good ideas. And they never put them into action mm. so that it, it, for a lot of people that is actually having a great idea can be quite painful because now you have to do something with it why is it that people even with a fantastic idea somebody with a brilliant idea they they just can't translate that into into the reality of the of writing the story and doing the work why why do people are not pe people not able to do that do you think i mean it's straight up terror of being judged and i see this all the time, all the time, okay. all the time, all the time. Maybe not right at the beginning, but sometimes I usually don't see people at that moment. No. I see people, you know, when they're further into the process usually. But this is a thing I see all the time. They're almost finished with a book and they've got it and they, they're revising and they're just about ready to start to look at either pitching it to agents or going out as yeah. a self-published book. Yeah. And, and they have another great idea. And they say, I am going to write this other great thing. And and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you doing? And I've seen it enough times now that I recognize it for what yeah. it is. Yeah. And I'm able just to call them out and say, okay, that's straight up terror. And you don't get to do that. And <laughs> But there, there's always that moment. like, Or the other permutation of this is they say, I had a flash of brilliance about how to do this book. And it's not actually going to be um, young adult dystopian sci-fi. It's going to be adult erotic thriller. And I'm going to totally redo it as adult erotic thriller instead of YA dystopian fantasy. And, and, and I'm going to go back to the beginning and rip it all apart and start again. And same thing. It's like, no, you're not. What you're going to do is you're going to face your fear. Mm. So wow. it's, okay. it's, it's straight up fear. And here's the thing. A book that's in your head is a beautiful, shiny, lovely, perfect object. And a, a book that you put on the page has flaws and holes mm. and logic yeah. arguments and problems and things that readers are going to pick apart. It sure. just does. Yeah. And so somewhere deep in our bones, we all know that. We know that the thing we make is not going to ever match the thing in our head yeah. and it's better sometimes to have it live in all its glory in your head than to put it on the page where it's going to be flawed and so people know that and they shy away from that mm. and some people shy away from that even before they start <laughs> <laughs> so what you're i think what you're talking about there that the fear of exposing your work or however you describe it is different from the fear of the challenge of writing. So 
I think these are two different things. It's one thing to be afraid to show your work out in public. It's another thing to think, oh my gosh, I've actually got to write 100,000 words and to just be overwhelmed with that. And do, do you come across that? Yeah, there is, uh, what would I call it? There is a thing. <laughs> How's that for a, a, a vague word? There's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. We know um, what you mean. I'll call it the three chapter rule. The three, I'm just, I'm going to write that down, Andrew. I just yeah, made yeah, that up. The three chapter rule. It's a thing Um, where there are a lot of people who have written three chapters of something. They've had that flash of brilliance. They have this idea. They like that person I told you texted me this morning. They have the flash, the flash. They, they, they're so excited. They get it. They, they write three chapters and then they stop because like you said, there's, there's too much. There's too many characters there's too many subplots there's too many layers like um how do i get to the end i can't do it i don't know and this is what i think is a tragic thing of people up against that that three chapter uh, problem is then they start looking for the quick fix so they start looking they go to conferences and they float their idea to agents hoping that the agent will think that idea is so good that the agent will say, I will sign you and guide you to finish your book, you know, <laughs> which is, it's doesn't happen. happen. By the way. No. <laughs> or, or they go to writing workshops and they rehash their first chapter yeah. over and over yeah. and over and over, or they take classes or read books or all the things that you do to not do the hard work of mm. making that book work. That's the thing that I see more than anything else is right. is the people stuck after about three chapters because it's yeah. so overwhelming. And well, I, I, I could tell you what, what I tell them, but I don't know if that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so what do you do? Or, or how would you advise somebody who's in that situation? Okay. So here's what I tell them. <laughs> um, a, a book coach is a person who helps writers on three different levels. And the three different levels are are the pillars of what every writer needs for their own career, yeah. whether wherever they get that. And those three things are editorial development. So just straight up structure. How do you how do you develop a story? How do you get it on the page? How do you engage the reader? Character development, scene development, pacing and flow, all of the things around okay. editorial development. Yeah, that's thing one. Um, thing two is the emotional support. So that's how do you move past when you're feeling like actually your idea really stinks or actually somebody else just came out with a book like that, or yeah. maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe my, my mother didn't think I was good enough or all the things, the emotional things that you bring to the table that those are things you have to find a way to deal with. So you need editorial guidance, you need emotional support. And the third thing is this thing that is very often not talked about in writing circles, and I am a huge evangelist for, and that is project management. That's the third thing a book coach does. So project management is just this straight up idea of, okay, a book is a very complex intellectual undertaking. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's incredibly complex. And it unfolds over usually years and it has multiple phases, multiple layers, multiple crossroads, all kinds of things that you have to, to make happen. And you need to manage that project. Mm. And 
that gets into then what are your writing habits? What is your day job like? What is your life like? You know, where do you write? Who supports you? How much time do you have? All these questions about actually getting the work done. And what people look for is these sort of what I would call life hacks or writing hacks, like, oh, write a thousand words a day, or oh, um, you have to write every day, or write 55,000 words in a month, whatever the hack is. Mm-hmm. And that that's just scratching the surface of what project management actually is and actually means. And it's not going to get you where you need to go. I mean, most of your listeners, I would imagine, are people who are out in the world in some capacity as working people or they have been in their lives. Yeah. And and anybody who's ever been part of a project knows what a big project looks like. I mean, a big project has timelines and phases and deadlines and, yeah. you know, we're going to hit this mark by this date. And if we don't, or if something falls apart at that date, we're going to regroup and we're going to try again, or we're going to bring in a consultant at this phase, or we're going to, this is the moment at which we're going to start doing this part of the project and bringing that same skill set to the writing process, I think is just monumentally important. And, okay. and people resist yeah. it and they don't want to do it because here's why they want to think that they are immune and that they immune from the realities of the world and that mm. they're going to actually write their book in six weeks and, <laughs> and they're actually going to write their book in six months. They're just not going to tell you that they think that, but that's what they think. And they don't want to look at year two because their book is going to be already on the bestseller list by year two. So that's what I'm up against when I really telling people how it goes. And it's, it's a tough thing to swallow to, to say, okay, this is a long-term multi-layered complex project that needs some big picture management. Right. Yeah. Now I can imagine some people might accept what you're saying. They might say, yeah, but stuff happens in life, you know, like not just the difficulty of you've got all these other things to juggle, like the day job and kids and whatever else, but also things can happen which can completely destabilize your or potentially at least knock you off track. Now, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you deal, you know, how does a writer deal with that? How do you deal with that? If, if something like potentially devastating happens or something really hard happens in life, but you still want to keep writing, how, how do you do that? It's such a good question, you know, as well as I do, that every life has that. Mm. Uh, Every life gets derailed. I often talk about the myth of the cabin in the woods. So the the cabin (laughs) in the woods is if somebody would just give me three months in a cabin in the woods and nobody would bother me and someone would bring me lunch in a basket, (laughs) I, I would be able to write this book. And it doesn't happen. And for the reasons you mentioned, the everyday reasons, your car breaks down, you have to go to the dentist, you know, those kinds of reasons, Mm. but also really big reasons. And, And most people writing are going to encounter those really big reasons. I experienced this in my own life when I was, it's now about 17 years ago, uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and right. I was 35 and I had two little kids, a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And I had published the first book we spoke about before when I was 25 yeah. and here the rug gets pulled out from under you. But I had a very powerful, overwhelming desire to write about what I was going through while I was going through it. And and, a lot of people are called to write in a way that's just therapy where 
and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, just therapy. I mean, my goodness, but right. it is, is very important, but writing, writing to make sense of something and writing for your own self and writing to sort things out in your head, you know, journaling, you know, nothing could be more powerful than that. For, than that. I, I'm a hundred percent in favor of sure. that. Sure. Always. But what I was talking about here is, is being called or pulled to write about, about this for other people. Yes. And, yeah. and to write about it to be published and wanting that. And I knew quite instantly that I was going to do that. I mm. mean, really within, mm. within, I would say four or five days of being diagnosed. And, and I can remember the exact moment. <laughs> it was kind of a really mm. funny moment. <laughs> I was, I was um, in the, um, the office of a plastic surgeon who would, who would be responsible for removing my breast and rebuilding it. So it's kind of an important thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and I live in Los Angeles and this guy walks into the um, examination room and he's like, he's like a surfer and he's got this long hair and he's, <laughs> and he's beautiful and he's wearing work boots and a denim shirt. And, and I was like, are you the doctor? Like, <laughs> Like it was just, it was so strange. And, and he had a, a manner about him that was so not what I would have thought for a doctor that yeah. I'm not nobody that I had ever met. And I, I am not even kidding while he's talking to me and my husband about the procedures and the processes and the, the surgeries and the, this and the, that, the choices, whenever I am literally writing dialogue in my head because <laughs> the guy yeah. was talking like a movie and maybe that was my you know that's my storytelling antenna the way i look at the world yeah. in terms of story but it was also that's that's a way through too to if i could <laughs> look at that guy as a character in a story it's a way of listening it's a way of being present you know it it there's a yes. lot of yeah. things about that that you know, once you're a storyteller, you're a storyteller. You can't not do it. No, it's and true. It's so true, isn't it? Yeah. But then I, I guess in a way, like in your case with that doctor surgeon guy, you found something authentic and real and captivating just in that moment. And you mm -hmm. knew that that's, that's it. That's your priority. That's your focus. Yeah. And knowing again, why are you doing this? Yeah. What, yeah. What difference does it make to you? Yeah. And, you know, the breast cancer memoir that I ended up writing actually was the answer to the question that my my childhood love of writing posed to me. So my childhood love of writing posed mm. to me that question of, if you just love the idea of being a writer, if you love the idea of someone sitting alone in a room and, and sh capturing their thoughts mm. and sharing the world and impacting people and inspiring people and you want to be that that that's like the fantasy thing. Mm -hmm. And, and if that is inspiring to you, that's one thing. But then the next question, you know, and I alluded to this earlier mm -hmm. was, okay, so then what are you going to write about? What is your story? What are mm -hmm. you going to tell? What do you bring to this whole mm -hmm. thing? And, you know, why you and what do you have to, to tell the world? And why should anybody care? All of those questions. And, it, you know, the breast cancer book for me, the answer that it gave me was 
the ability to capture some level of truth and some level of authenticity and is itself an incredibly powerful thing. Yes, yes. Whatever you're writing, it doesn't matter what you're writing, it doesn't matter what your topic is or what your genre is or what your structure is or any of it, it all goes back to that. Are you capturing something real and true? Mm. True to the best of your ability and the best yeah. of your perception yeah. and the best of your knowledge, but or are you faking it? Are you copying someone else? Are mm-hmm. you are you dialing it in? Are you just trying to do the thing that's going to get you to being a writer? Like I said, to have have written, you know, it's the process of doing that truth seeking and that authentic work that that is the work. That's it. And, mm, mm. and I think that many times difficult things or tragic things make it very clear to you what's important. Yeah. And yeah, in your, in your yeah. life and in yeah. your writing. And, yeah. and so that the breast cancer book showed me that I knew how to do that. I didn't know that I knew how to do that. And I didn't know. Now, mind you, I already published a book. Um, I didn't know that I was good at that. I didn't know that the world needed that. And, and it proved to me all of those things that, that I am good at it, that the world does need that. And, and that I actually believe that many people who are called to writing, that's really what it, what they're good at. That's really what they're good at is seeing other people, seeing truth, seeing, what's authentic and real scraping away everything that's not. And it doesn't matter what they're writing. That's what they're doing. So that's why I always talk about going back to that and, and tapping into that because that's going to pull you through whether your life is in a good place or not good place. You know, every book is an argument. Every single book is an argument for something for a way of life, a point of view, a belief, a hope, whatever the, whatever, whatever it is, it's, it's an argument for something. Mm. And and you, you know this because when you finish a book you love, there's that feeling of just like, uh, I mean, there's so many things wrapped up in that moment where you feel seen and heard and known like yeah, this author yeah. gets me, you know, and yeah. this author reinforces what I think about the world and what I believe and how I get through the day. And, even if it's a sad book or a melancholy book, it resonates with those things in you. And mm. so to, as the writer to really get down to what argument do you think it's making? And then also what do you think somebody would walk away from your book thinking or believing or knowing or being grateful for? Mm. What would they say to a friend? Like you have to read this book because what, yeah. what is it? Yeah. Yeah. When I work with people one-on-one, I insist that they actually write these things down, not just mm. vaguely think them, but actually write them down. And That's interesting, yeah, yeah. It's um, quite magical <laughs> <laughs> because the answers are always there. And yeah. I mean, I said always, I don't even mean sometimes, they're always there. Mm. And you know, you know why you're doing it. It's mm. probably just that you haven't tapped into it and connected to it. Okay. So what I did want to do is ask you about your wonderful team of coaches and an author accelerator. Uh, and I know you've already alluded to some of the, some of the things that you do as, as a, a book coach, but I wondered if you could spend a couple of minutes just telling us about uh, the team that you work with, 
what and, and what do you collectively do you guys what do you offer and what what are you trying to do f- for your clients well I started Author Accelerator after working for about six years as a book coach, helping nurture projects and nurture mm. careers. And I did it for several reasons. I started the company for several for several reasons. Among them was I saw a real hole in the marketplace that this type of nurturing was no longer being done at, at publishing houses. They, they mm. just don't have the capacity. No. And most editors are working on about 30 books at a time. And there's just no way they can give focused attention to the work. And so more and more they're looking, publishers are looking for work that comes in already ready to go. Sure. And from the self-publishing end of things, the self-published writer who's working in that realm needs to bring their own level of professionalism to their work. So they need a team to help them do this yes. nurturing. Yes. So so there's that gap in in what is available to writers. And, and I've had the privilege of having that kind of attention back in the day at the traditional publishing houses. And it was an amazing experience to, to have your hand held in that way and to have somebody as invested in your story as you were. Mm. It's just a huge gift. And if you read anything about, you know, the great editors like Maxwell Perkins, who worked with Fitzgerald and Hemingway, or um, Ursula Nordstrom, who worked with great children's book writers like Maurice Sendak. It was this long nurturing that was the the powerful thing. Mm. So I wanted to fill that gap in the marketplace. And, And I also realized in my own work as a book coach that I had brought a strategic mindset to the creative process that I didn't see in a lot of places. So this thing we were talking about before, project management and ongoing feedback and you know, in so many other creative realms, there's this notion of apprenticeship where you mm. learn to paint, paint by copying the masters or yeah. you, you apprentice under a fashion designer or or however you move up through the ranks to learn your craft and to, to learn your craft, you know, from a somebody who's invested in your growth. And this is what a book coach does is, is the you know, if you go into a writing workshop, you're going to spend a lot of time looking at other people's writing and listening to your peers give their opinions on your work. And if you go to a conference, you're going to listen to famous or well-known people talking about how it is. But it's very hard to find a place to go to get a professional to be looking at your work with a careful and strategic mindset. Yes. And so that's what we designed is a program where the the book coaches who work for me, I have 26 of them now, and they're, it's not a marketplace where you come and hear a bunch of book coaches and you get to pick um, who you want to work with <laughs> and what you need. That There is a place for that, but that's not what we're doing. I hire all of these people. I look for very particular things in them. I look for the editorial Ability. I look for the strategic mindset and the understanding of the marketplace. And I look for that project management piece of it as well. Mm. Um, and above all, I look for deep reservoirs of compassion. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm serious about that yeah, because, sure, yeah. because of the emotional support that, sure. that is demanded. And so we have a program. Our core program is a, a six-month program that is designed specifically to get writers to the end of a draft, whether it's a new draft or a revision draft. And you customize the program with your book coach. You you work on the project and how what your goals are and you get either weekly or biweekly feedback depending on your your style and your process. But you get that feedback within 72 hours. It's all about you and your work. It's professional eyes on your page while you're revising, while you go so you don't get off track and you've got that accountability and somebody else in the process with you. And we designed the six-month program. It's called Manuscript Accelerator. Um, we designed it on purpose. You can't wiggle out of it. You can't <laughs> You can't say, well, I only want to do it for a month or two months or whatever. It's six months. It's all in. It's a commitment. We demand that. And the reason is that we found if we let people wiggle out of it, they will. Hmm. And what writers really want is to finish. And that three-chapter... I got to come up with a word for this. The three chapter thing um, <laughs> is so real. And mm, yeah, and it is. We, we want to get you past that. We want to get you to the end or we want to get you to that revised polished thing that's ready to pitch. And so what we're offering is super unsexy because it's not <laughs> like we're, <laughs> we're promising a bestseller. It's not like we're promising a lot. You're going to make a ton of money. We're not promising that you're going to get an agent. We're not promising. We're really all we're promising is you will finish and you will learn to be a better writer. And it's not very jazzy and sparkly, but I can tell you that it is incredibly powerful. Well, those are pretty big things you've just said there, aren't they? I mean, anybody who's done any writing and thinks about it, those are those are pretty big things if you can achieve them to finish yeah, the, and to be a better writer. The world is full of all the shiny, you know, <laughs> miracle yeah. cure things. And, yeah. and we just stand in opposition to that, that yeah. writing is hard, writing is slow. And, and really the thing that can make all the difference is having somebody waiting for your work every week and reflecting back to what they see. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's great. <laughs> it's so fun. It is so fun. And, and I, I wish anybody listening that wants to know what a book coach is or what a book coach does, I, I have some links that I could share where I discuss that. People can find me at jennynash.com. That is where I live on the internet. Okay. And they can find Author Accelerator at authoraccelerator.com. And if they are interested in, um, we have a free six uh, mini, mini writing challenge, a six step mini writing challenge that that they can take where we ask these questions you and I have talked about. Why are you writing sure. this? Yeah, yeah. Um, what does this mean to you? Um, and that is at authoraccelerator.com backslash blueprint workshop. And we can put that link up for people um, cool. and they can check that out and, and get some of those questions and, and work through them and um, learn if they think working with the coach might be right for them. Fantastic. <laughs> wow that's been brilliant um yeah 
Jenny, thank you so much for your time. It's been a, a, a fantastic conversation. I've learned loads. I've been challenged loads as well from what you've said. So it's been great to share this time with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks again, Jenny. Okay, bye. Yes, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com. Thank you.